back to the coven. I'm your host, Shweta Sundarajan, and I am the legendary Wicked Witch of the Sound Waves. Joining me today is Kate Elliott. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much for having me, Shweta. You are one of my all-time favorite students. I am so excited to be here with you. Well, for those of you who don't know, Kate Elliott is one of the best professors at Ball State University. This may be a biased opinion, but like, it's also true. Um, but I just wanted to have you back for like the first episode of the semester and I can't believe it's already October and we're just now doing our first episode, but like, it's been that kind of semester so far. It's just, can you believe it's October? But we're back in the classroom, which feels really great to be honest. I mean, you know, we, and we're still doing hybrid formats and stuff like that. So which is nice. I think it allows students to access the content in different ways that works for them in the moment and stuff. But it just feels so good to come together. But yeah, it's been a crazy semester. It really has. And we're back in the studio. Yeah. And feels that good. feels great because, you know, recording over Zoom with like people virtually, it just it doesn't feel right. Like it's not the same, you know, like I'm in person, face to face, talking to you, and I feel like I'm talking to the audience. So we're here. And can I just say, she looks like a boss with this giant mic in front of her. You were like meant to do this work. I hope so too, but we're all a work in progress. We are. You we know? are a work in progress. So speaking of works in progress, this is not my greatest transition, but sure. Um, You're like, tell me about yourself. Yeah. Speaking of a work in progress. Yep, that's me. Um, I, being a work in progress, is applying for internships, and recently there's been quite the controversy surrounding um, the Washington Post and um, their their internship posting. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know about this, but um, a lo- like the Washington Post drew a lot of criticism from experienced journalism ju- journalism journalists. Um, that had its internship requirements say that it was necessary for students to have previous experience in a major newsroom. So, like this, like a lot of people claimed that this requirement would leave out a lot of students from smaller universities or from community colleges. Like, a lot of people who didn't have those connections with these like reputable organizations like the Washington Post. So, do you think this requirement is problematic? Did they define what major newsroom means? Because I think also people can take that to mean different, you know, that would be a question I have. If they mean national newsrooms, you know, but if they just mean a newsroom, um, you know, I think what they're trying to get at, I feel like the spirit of what they're trying to get at is is good in the sense they're trying to make sure that people who apply for the internship have experience in the field. But when you start to you know, require them to have experience in certain types of newsrooms. Yes, I think that is problematic in the sense because it, you know, I work with student journalists who some come from back, like some come from high schools that have well-established journalism programs with TV stations and newspapers and magazines and yearbooks. And I have other students who come from schools where, They don't even have a student newspaper or any type of kind of, you know, publication where students can hone those skills as a storyteller. And so they are not going to have the same level of experience or access. You know, a lot of underserved populations, I don't need to pull up statistics to, you know, speak to people uh, who are in underserved populations do not have the same access that other people do. And so there's a lot of privilege in that type of a call out because it does limit and and unfortunately it'll it'll limit the diversity the the diverse candidates that will apply for that internship which ultimately affects the diversity of of what they put out you know i mean you newsrooms should reflect the diversity of the um the readership of the of the space the place that they're covering and so by kind of putting up those barriers i think it it limits limits the ability to tell those, you know, the stories that matter to all of those that you're covering. And that's basically what a lot of critics were saying is that it, you know, it blocks a lot of doors for a lot of people because 
<clears throat> the Washington Post specifically said that students must have previous experience in a major newsroom, mm -hmm. <clears throat> right? So, ooh, I'm not getting choked up. It's just like it's it's really it's cold season. Yeah, it's cold, it's cold season. season. And you know what? It's I'm getting choked up with emotion <laughs> of anger, of how privileged. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like I've I've done internships, but mine have not been like I wouldn't consider mine at like a reputable major. Mm -hmm. news newsroom not saying that like i didn't love my internship i mm -hmm. loved the fact that it was more of a smaller company than it was of a bigger major newsroom does mm -hmm. it give more experience to be working at a major newsroom yes but can everyone just get into like chicago tribune or you know can they get into no like the people like people at those news organizations are looking for a certain level of caliber from a student right and not a lot of like high schools, colleges can provide the level of experience that say Ball State can, mm -hmm. or Mizzou, or mm -hmm. you know other universities. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think it kind of sounds disenfranchising to mm -hmm. a lot of students. I mean, I applied to the internship. Yeah, I would. I, that's what I would. If they don't get into exactly what a major you know, a major newsroom, I would say go ahead and apply because I would I would argue that even, you know, I graduated from the University of Missouri and when I graduated, I had only at that point had clips or samples of my work that had been published in the Columbia Missourian, which is, you know, a, was a, is a, it's a city paper, it's a reputable paper, but I wouldn't necessarily consider it a major newsroom. Yeah. Uh, you know, so again, I would have just applied and, and you know, let my story samples, your writing work speak for itself. Uh, and if there's an opportunity to address it, honestly, I would speak from the heart. And, you know, if there was like an essay portion of the um, application or um, I wouldn't hesitate to voice that concern uh, as someone applying for the internship, because honestly, that type of, um, you know, advocacy and depending on how well you wrote that, you know, plea or response, I think that could get your foot in the door, honestly, if you kind of showed that you have that grit and that determination to say, like, here are my clips, you know, while they may not be from a major newsroom, they show my, you know, passion and drive and ability, you know? Well, there's that point, right, that talent can only take you so far. Because I've seen extremely talented people, and, and not just in the journalism field, but in other fields were extremely talented, but the opportunities just passed by them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, like, sometimes you see positions go to maybe, like, less deserving people, you know? And it's very sad, because, like, I've, I've seen people up and close, like, very talented people have these wonderful opportunities be passed by them for the most arbitrary of reasons, mm -hmm. right? So, yes, sure, you can try, right? But really... Do you think what matters most is connections in this industry? Like, because there's, like, there's a journalist, uh, Soledad de Brian. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you say his mm -hmm. name. I'm sorry if I butchered it. But they said that um, internships like these would only go to those whose parents already work in the industry, right? Sure. So do you think that matters, like, having that connection? Do you think that has, like, that weight, that pull? My husband, who coordinates the musical theater program here and has had a career as an actor, he always tells his students that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so, I mean, there, I, I, yes, I think there are people who just happen to fall into very lucky, you know, the for pure form of like just luck. They fall into an opportunity. But I don't think if they don't have the, if they haven't put in the hard work, they won't last there very long. You know, they'll be kind of a one-hit wonder. I think that, you know, certainly people whose parents are journalists or in any creative field, I mean, any creative field, you think about acting, you think about art, you know, artists that you might know, you think about people who write books. You know, there are people who make it big writing or in art or in as an actor who you might be able to identify people who are by pure talent better than they are who have not made it big it doesn't mean the person who made it big doesn't have 
you know, what it takes or is not a good actor. But there is this element in these creative fields of like, you know, they just happened to be at the right place at the right time and they showed their skill and had what it had what it took, you know, to, to make it into that role or to get hired. Uh, I think does that make sense? I mean, I, I, I think you have to, you have to advocate for yourself and yes, connections are important, but if you put yourself out there and you keep putting yourself out there, I have to think, and I have seen people make it where they want to go. If they just keep, keep applying, they keep working hard, they keep learning the craft, but there is an element of, of who, you know, but again, you don't, there, there are people who have created those paths and that access for themselves because they keep applying and they, you know, keep trying. Well, tell me about your path. How did you get to the place that you are today? How did you become a boss, boss ass uh. journalist? <laughs> How did you become one of the best journalism professors at Ball State? How are you such a girl boss? Please quit trying to get extra credit, girl. Um course that's not what I'm trying to play at well no, and no. I think that ultimately gets at what is success for you because there have definitely been opportunities throughout my career where I could have taken a path that would have led me to what many people would see as more success than what I am what I am living now but your your priorities change in life especially as a as a mother and someone who has a partner and we're balancing what's best for our family not necessarily not necessarily just myself and my career um, I graduated from the University of Missouri uh, in Columbia, Missouri, where I grew up. I got a degree in magazine journalism from Mizzou, and then I spent some time over in London uh, at Reuters, where I was able to write humanitarian news. So I focused a lot on you know, women's role in Afghanistan's reconstruction, small arms proliferation in Sri Lanka, the AIDS crisis in India, like these really, really big uh, stories and that was such a amazing opportunity because it it taught me how to take these huge concepts uh, AIDS and small arms proliferation which say that five times fast and you know uh, women's role in, in Afghanistan and all the mess that's that was was happening over there and still is I mean how to take those huge concepts and, and make them make people readers from across the globe connect with those subjects. That was really a challenge that uh, was a great thing for me as coming from small town, Missouri. Uh, and then I moved home and I went down to Waco, Texas. It was my first job uh, out of college, my first, you know, real job. That, um, and it's, I was a feature writer and a columnist, and this is why I encourage people to always say yes to opportunities and new experiences, because I didn't take one class in college about how to be a columnist, you know, but the job, they needed a columnist, and they thought I, my writing style lent well to that, and so they said, do you want to do this? And you just say yes, and you try it out, and if it doesn't work out, you are not a columnist anymore, you know, and they'll pull you or whatever, but I wrote features, human interest features, and columns, and I always said yes to things. Uh, while I was down there, uh, at the time, newspapers were not doing any type of um, kind of video production, but I had gone to a few high school football games, and I thought, this is so crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, football and then God, you know, down there, it felt like, you know, they were just so passionate about it. And... So I thought it'd be so fun on a Friday night just to take a video camera out there and just like mess around and have fun with people and, and show what it's like to be in this community, in this space. And so a copy editor who had a video camera and I went out and we produced what is called Kate at the Gate and they're on YouTube. And I look at them and I am so embarrassed by them now. But at the time, they were kind of a big deal. And Cox Newspapers actually paid me like $700, which at the time was was big money to come down to a conference in Atlanta and I spoke to like you know hundreds of old white guys and they asked me like what was my vision behind Kate at the Gate and like what was my my method and my whatever and I was just like I just was having fun messing with people you know I do a bunch of 
it kind of reminded me of like on Letterman or these late night shows, they do these kind of shticks with people on the street, you know, that kind of stuff. It led me for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I produced some shows about American Idol. So I'd go to the American Idol tryouts and like I messed around with people and interviewed people and things like that. So I had so many job offers come to me from that. But at the same time in my personal life, I was had met my husband. We were going to get married. I also had a job opportunity to take on an editor role at the Valdosta State um, alumni magazine. And that's where my husband was serving his first uh, professor role. And so I weighed this kind of, okay, do I take off on this kind of adventure being a personality uh, on, you know, video shorts? Or do I take a job that would allow me to get a master's for free at a university and kind of build up this alumni magazine from the ground? It was definitely more of a, a, a secure, I think, choice and I that's what I ended up doing and you know there there are times sometimes when I look back and wish I kind of not what I just wonder what that would have where that would have taken me but the experiences I had as an editor there and that master's that I got led me to be able to teach I never thought I would be teaching I never thought I'd be teaching my husband was offered the job at Ball State we came up here I was the editor of the Ball State magazine for seven years they offered me a raise and I quit because my father had passed away. I had two small kids and I had been starting to freelance for a lot of different publications across the country. And I was loving that. And I thought I want more flexibility. So I quit my job, stayed at home and freelanced and was a full-time mom. I would not recommend that. And this is why I talk a lot with my students about freelancing because it is, you might know your craft. Like if you're a good photographer, you might want to be, oh, I'll quit and, you know, I'll, I'll become a wedding photographer. But you have so many other business things like taxes, invoicing, keeping up with your hours, all these things that are so time consuming and, and outside of just what you do well. You know, they're not maybe your skill set. Having a, a website and all these business things. And so that was a real learning curve for me. And I encourage students to, you know, you setting boundaries. No, you know, you're not, you're always thinking about work because there's no clear like eight to five clocking in. And then ultimately I had been kind of adjunct teaching here and loving that more and more, loving the connections I made with students. And then I decided to take a full-time job here. So long explanation to how I got here. I continue to freelance because I think it's important for me to be doing the work that I'm asking of my students. And I just love every minute of it. It's awesome, especially my work to empower women, uh, women, women writers, women storytellers. I so think, I yeah, want, we're, yeah, I wanted to jump more into that because like what, what was your experience as being a woman in the newsroom and you said you spoke to a quote bunch of white men oh. right at that conference and we all know that journalism is mainly male dominated it's a male dominated field it's yeah. a male dominated field and i mean it's becoming more inclusive now i feel with just in the past couple of years but i mean not insinuating you're old, but like no. back in back in your your back day, in the day back in the day back old, in the day back in the old day like yeah it, like I assume it used to be more male dominated. So how did you break in? Like, did you face any you know sexism or I don't know like hell yes hell yes I did spill the tea spill the tea or Tell spill me the what chai. that means later okay to spill spill the I it's, know what tea is like, I know what tea is spill the chai is like my own personal brand because um I'm I'm brown stop. so I was like stop it's like a little it's a little rebranding um you can say that I can't spill the chai with Shweta on the coven spill the chai okay yeah no it is a male-dominated field um you know what I, my dad raised me I used to think, like, my dad never, you know, opened the car door for me or, like, you know, things like that that I was like, oh, you know, I, I used to think you're, you know, but it was good looking back because I just, he taught, he raised me to, you know, fight and, like, carry my own weight and, like, not. Not take crap Not from take, him. yeah. I, he just, he was, he was tough on me. And I think that was really good because, well, he, but I, at the same time. 
I, he treated me as such an equal to my brother and my, my mom did too. And my mom is a strong woman that I didn't know. I, I kind of walk into situations sometimes not even thinking about, I mean, I just say what I mean and I mean what I say and I, I don't hold back. Uh, you know, I'm respectful, but I just don't think about it sometimes. But, but I have certainly been in situations. I mean, that said, I notice when I'm the only female in the room, just like I'm sure you've noticed at times when you're the only person of color in a room, you just you're aware. And so there have been many, many situations where I've been the only woman in a room. And, you know, some men make that more clear than others that I'm just like, you know, the female. One time I was in a meeting uh, at the newsroom uh, in, in Texas, and one of the editors was like, you know, I had been wearing, I wore a long skirt that day. And he was like, oh, wearing that skirt, you look like one of our, look, you look like a little secretary. And I was like, say what? I mean, I just was like, yeah, but I'm not. You know, and so I and wow. he just was like, ooh, but I don't even know. I, then he laughed, you know, I think probably out of feeling awkward, but I certainly didn't just let it go. Uh, you know, I have made treats. Before. I love making treats. I love doing for others. It's my love language. And so sometimes in office settings, I've like made treats or brought them to meetings or things like that. I'm not doing that because I'm a woman and that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing it because I like, you know making people's day and there have been comments and I can't necessarily remember the exact ones but like maybe when I haven't done that they're like you know have made a comment about oh get back in the kitchen or you know and and it and it feels very and I, I again I don't know if they meant it for it if it, it felt very like a gendered you know oh it comment. definitely yeah it, it definitely, definitely reads is. that way yeah it is and so I don't know I try not to assume but it is. And I, yeah, I've had definitely had moments like that. My thing is like, if you feel like it is, yeah, then it definitely I is. I know. Cause I've had those, I've had those moments where it's like a weird offhanded comment about my race or my, my gender. And then I'm, and then I'm like, okay, if I have to think about it, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely weird. Yeah. Like, and yeah, and I mean, I I wrote a freelance article about the fatherhood bonus and the motherhood um, penalty, and so it, I mean, it's statistically a, a reality that you know when men have kids in the work well not in the workplace, but when when a when a man has becomes a father, he statistically his salary increases and his job security increases because he is seen as you know he is going to be around and he is you know settled and he is whatever these things you know. If a woman has a child, she takes a hit on her salary and in her job security because she's seen as, you know, she's going to be pulled in lots of directions and she's scattered, you know. Well, did you see that in your uh, profession, like when you had kids oh, and sure. you were a working journalist? Like what was your personal experience with that and dealing, dealing with higher-ups? Because I know a lot of women who have that anxiety to talk to their higher-ups and just say like, hey, I'm pregnant. This is okay. So I was not a mother. Well, yeah, I mean, I became a mother when I was the editor here at Ball State. So a little bit of a different role. Like, I still felt like I was doing journalism, but not, like, in a newsroom necessarily. But it was still very much male-dominated in a lot of the situations I was here at the university. But one of my good friends did have her child uh, while she while we were at the newspaper together, but she went in to her editor's office and was like, "I have some big exciting news." And he was like, "You pregnant?" And she had just won this like huge AP award for a story that she wrote. So he just was like, he assumed that her big wonderful news was that she's pregnant, you know. And so again, like foot in mouth, like I don't think he's this like horrible sexist person, but we're so conditioned to think, oh, like your big news, she's married. She's been married for a couple of years, so of course her next, you know, step is to have babies. And, you know, um, I know a lot of people who probably felt I, – I hope this is changing. I think this is changing that, you know, if they have kids, they will um, not be able to do the work uh, or be um, – make it as far in your career. And I feel like we're seeing more and more women leaders who are – um, you know, demystifying that a little bit. Um, but I mean, I was looking up some, the American Society of News Editors does an annual newsroom census to determine a lot of different, like my, how many minorities, how many men make up the newsrooms and stuff. And I mean, 1999, it was 36.9% um, 
you know, of, of women overall were in the newsroom. And in, in 2013, you know, it's it's still 36%. So it's definitely a male-dominated field. And, and women do feel threatened. Uh, the International Women's Media Foundation reports that 70% of women experience more than one type of harassment, threat, or even attack at the so it's not only it, it's not only people in the newsroom, it's the people you're interviewing. And I have most definitely be, been physically intimidated or have had people that I'm interviewing or people who are around a, a scene or a um, in a in a in a rally or whatever have have said things to me like oh darling or they've touched me in a way that was really kind of weird um, or I've had people like come up to me and be like, you know, nobody wants to talk to you right now. You know, like just in a threatening way. I don't do a ton of that kind of on the scene reporting, but I I used to more and more. And I had some of that. 52% of women uh, have experienced an offense within the past year and nearly a third of female journalists considered leaving the profession due to online attacks and threats. So and, and I didn't have that as much, but now more and more as journalists are, you know, have these online personalities, you're really opening yourself up to trolls and other kind of, you know, harassment. Oh, yeah. Twitter is a war zone. I mean, and I'm not I'm not technically working in the industry yet, but I've already gotten a handful of offhanded comments. Like one thing that really stuck out to me was a family member who asked me what I was going to do after college and I told them journalism because mm-hmm. you know that's what I'm studying I've spent like thousands of dollars on yeah. this degree and they were like oh well like once you graduate like you should go into something else like you shouldn't do journalism like you should just get married and mm-hmm. get settled as all good little yeah. girls do um and I was like no no I'm not and then I, I was kind of just pushing him right um obviously it was a guy if you couldn't tell so far. Um, but he was like, yeah, well, um, you shouldn't go into journalism because uh, wom- like female reporters get raped and murdered. And I'm like, I mean, yes. That's yeah, lots of people get raped and murdered. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, I was yeah. like, that's just not female journalists. It's an unfor- unfortunate statistic, but that's mm-hmm. not every single female reporter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. if anything, you should use that statistic to advocate for more protection and more rights for women, like more safety for like female reporters, right? I'm really gl- glad you brought that up because I think we at Ball, at Ball State, but probably across you know universities teaching students to talk with people, I think we do need to talk about, I feel like I've talked about this in one of your classes before, but it's just been like a addition. It's not in the curriculum, but talking about our safety and talking about the fact that you know, you need to take someone with you if you're going to meet with someone at us or, you know, or meet in public or, you know, you need to be thinking about those things ahead of time. It's not, you know, you're not always meeting people who are are good. You, you just don't know. You don't know. And you need to be really aware of, of the situations you're putting yourself into. And then also, if you do feel uncomfortable, I think a lot of a lot of, you know, you're so focused on getting the story. It's okay to leave. You know, it is okay to, to shut that down and walk away. You know, yeah, your setting, safety matters more than getting the story, yeah, ultimately. Boundaries because I think that's, I mean, for me, I think that's something that's not really set. Because as journalists, it's always like, get the story, get the yeah. beat, like, get on it. You know, like, push forward no matter how much. And I've definitely been in situations where, you know, like, I'll be at a protest mm-hmm. and I won't feel super comfortable mm-hmm. about that and I mean I, I I am a feminist and I like to think that yes like I'm strong like I'm like I'm a big woman like I can fight off all the mm-hmm. mean bad boys or whatever but like I'm really not and I I've had to come to terms that it's okay for me to ask a friend mm-hmm. for me to ask a male reporter to come with me mm-hmm. I don't think that's any that makes me any weaker mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I just feel like that's, that's always been the thing. Like you have to be independent, like you have to go on the beat and Mm -hmm. that's what report, like that's what reporters are like. You have Mm -hmm. to go out and do it. And it's like, if you can't see it, especially if you're a new reporter, I don't think that's seen as great. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, ultimately your safety is so important and I think you need to do what feels right to you. A lot of times though, I think it's good practice to have a photographer come with you in a lot of situations anyway. So that could be a kind of a good pairing that you don't feel maybe like you're, 
doing it for your physical safety, but you're just like, this is best practice of storytelling, right? That we'll go together and get the story and, you know, whatever. So I think you could work around it like that sometimes. But I mean, yeah, if you bring someone with you, I think that's a good, that's a good approach. Um, You know, I think like, I feel like there's that mindset of, or lack of mindset of women journalists, like not feeling safe. And I think that kind of plays into editors being more male dominated, I think, because a guy like guys don't understand, like, why it's uncomfortable for us to walk at night, you know, or to, like, go alone Mm -hmm. or like why for like a taller man may be more intimidating. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's all these reasons that like only women can understand. And I feel Mm -hmm. like if we had women in higher positions like Mm -hmm. in editor positions maybe this wouldn't be a thing Mm -hmm. so how do you think we could get women into more like higher leadership positions yeah I mean I think we're seeing more and more of that so that is good to see I I think I mean I, I don't know that I have an answer for that we just need to keep keep applying keep pushing keep demonstrating our value will we ever be paid the same I don't know, you know. It's about time. Well, yeah, it is about time. I think women's natural, you know, empathy and connect, like ability to connect and 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 some of the trauma that we've had as women, I think can can really we can we can connect with people in in such a deep way and I think women add such value to a newsroom. I just I've seen it. Uh, I live it and you know, as in, and, and people who come from lots of different backgrounds. I mean, women is just, women are just one of the pieces that I would love to see more newsrooms have a variety of ability levels, uh, a variety of, of backgrounds and life experiences and, and be open and talk about those and, and that kind of thing. Be, be more of a family. Um, one thing, though, it's funny to kind of switch it a little bit. Um, Washington Post Enterprise reporter Hannah Dreyer recently came to Ball State because she won the National Writing Award. And she talked about when you saw her on the screen, you did not she did not look like what I think a lot of people would think is this like dogged investigative reporter she was super kind and you know she called herself kind of like bumbling she even used that word I remember and you know and and she said something that I thought was really empowering to me because I don't always come across as this very super poised like hard person you know that I think like oh I'm supposed to be this way if I'm a journalist right I'm supposed to like have all the answers and do all the research know all the things you know be ready with every question not ask them to explain it again you whatever it is have like a pencil yeah, in your yeah right exactly like just like I, I think I had this vision and she was like I kind of use that to my advantage sometimes like to be a little bumbling and because because people then don't take you you know they're not they're not threatened by you I think sometimes when people are threatened they're not you know but if you're vulnerable and if you you know if you give off some of that I think they are more comfortable with you and so I've used as much as I have been you know my femininity has worked against me I have also I think used it in in a way to get closer to people and to get better stories I think it's also the persona of a strong woman Mm -hmm. that puts a lot of people off I mean, even women, like sometimes I see a strong woman and I kind of get internally sure. threatened because I'm like, dang, she's or fierce, they, yeah, whatever. Like, fierce, whatever. But, you know, I I remember I was at the common market uh, a couple days ago. I was just talking to the uh, owners of the business. If you don't know what the common market is, wonderful place, south side of Muncie, is a corner store, but also a music venue. But it's just everything just mashed in one wonderful place. But back to the story, I was standing there and the owner, lovely man, he serves all people, like no matter how impoverished they are or even if they don't have money, it's very caring. And we had this lady come up and clearly she was not in her right mind, to say the least. And, you know, she she looks at me and she's like, oh, you're so pretty. Like, are you a doctor? You should write me a prescription for so on and so forth. And yeah, you should like write me a prescription for drugs. And I I just kind of looked at her and I was like, no, I'm not a doctor. But and then I kind of thought back, like, where did that assumption come from? Right. 
that a lot of Indian people are doctors, engineer, lawyer. But, you know, the last thing she may have thought was me being a journalist. Mm. And I wasn't necessarily offended. Like, most people I tell that story to, they're like, wow, how could she think that you're a doctor? Like, that's so racist. But I didn't really see it that way. I kind of appreciate the ambiguity is that how you say it yeah okay um i kind of like that because i don't i don't want to go up to a person and just have them know everything about me right like i like seeing that surprise i like seeing that shock Mm. on their face when i'm like yeah i'm a journalist and they're all like whoa you of all people Mm -hmm. and i think that gets people to open up because if i start if i start asking questions they're not gonna know that it's for an article or for something else, right? Like, I'm just a curious person, Mm -hmm. to say the least. Mm -hmm. But I could just be a curious fake doctor. And granted, my handwriting is way too neat for me to be a doctor anyway, so, like, that wouldn't even work out. Because have you seen doctor's handwriting? Oh, yeah. I'm like, were you stuck in an earthquake? Right. Why does your handwriting look like a seismic? It's almost like they, again, have to fall into that stereotype. Like, they had great handwriting, and they're just like, I got to make it messy because I'm a doctor now. Yeah, I got to fit into the stereotype. Right. I just have so many doctor friends, and I am I just want to keep watching their slow progression to just shaky, like horrible earthquake handwriting. I'm just going to mm-hmm. call it earthquake handwriting. No, it's that's a great description. Because I went to the doctor the other day, and she wrote me a note for class, and I could not read the note right. to save my life. No. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are great things. I mean, these are great things to talk about, you know, this is, it's so important. And I, dang it. I had a point that was a horrible, like, I was like, oh, she's looking at me. I got to talk. And then I had a horrible, I had a great point and I forgot it. That's really how, how it be in the studio. We're we're all, we're all rusty. It's how it be. This semester. I mean, mean, yeah, it's, it's because I'm a woman actually. Oh, yeah, because your thoughts just keep escaping. I'm distracted. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that about the leader. And I remember we had a we had a, you know, Joanne Gora is a president here at Ball State and obviously a woman. And, you know, many times I heard people describe her and what she did as like aggressive or, you know, they would use these very derogatory terms. And I, I would bet money. I would bet big sums of money that if if you just switched her out with a man and and he said the same things or did whatever they were talking about it would be you know assertive or you know and so words matter you know our our words matter our our body language matters so many things matter and I guess um I don't know just to the to the men uh, you know listening being an ally um you know and and advocating for women in the workplace and in the the classroom and things like that i think that is really really a good a good thing too um but we just gotta keep on keeping on i mean and not to say that we're bashing the male journalists out there sure you do you you go for it that if if the point that you're taking away from this episode is that men reporters are bad and like women journalists don't get as that's not the point Mm -hmm. we are trying to highlight the disparities in the industry it's not the people that are bad but it's the system it's the systems i mean this is larger than any one profession i mean you could you could we could sit here and be talking about many many male-dominated fields and you know society. I mean, you know, uh, it's amazing. Raising humans has been a very uh, in- intense education for me because you realize that, you know, the hateful things that maybe kids say, like it's it doesn't. You know, my kids. It's not. It's taught. You know, it, it, they they come out and they have these beautiful attitudes and and don't have so much of what you hear you know from like it's all learned you know and so those kids raised in those environments grow up to be you know executives or professionals and they have those same attitudes a lot of times it's cultural and we you know these shifts in take time you know Um, we now a lot of places now have more you know paternity leave policies and and maternity leave is now paid like I think we're going to look back and, and be like what there was a time, like, when I had my kids, Shwetha, I had to pay, like, I had to take time without pay, you know, to stay home with my children. 
because for you, six weeks for for the like you have to stay home for six weeks with your kids. I think if you come back sooner, you have to get like a doctor's excuse kind of thing. Like they, you know, they they, and so I had to take time without pay because I hadn't I wasn't working here long enough to have accrued my vacation time. You know. But now they that's wild. have, yeah, I mean, so, and, and that's, I mean, think about if I were working a hourly kind of job, right, and, and really needed, didn't have a partner um, working, you know, uh, to support our family too. So there's a lot of things that need changing and we just have to keep, we can't ex- sit back and expect, this is one thing I have learned, especially with, you know, the news about, um, well, just a lot of the women's issues right now in the news is that sometimes I think we can get complacent and we just have to keep pushing and keep fighting. I think about what specifically just I mean, about women's rights, about, you know, women in the workplace, our rights, lots of things. I mean, you have to keep pushing and you can't when you get complacent. I think that's when people empower start to creep back they, they start to push back and and take more and more and more and so you have to keep vigilant uh the work that so many of our mothers and grandmothers did uh is kind of people are trying to chip away at that in some situations and, and so we just to need to keep more, advocating for work it for more like people of color mm-hmm. sure in, in the newsroom i mean not just women but like women of color like people of color like men of color you know so on and so forth so again so we have that diverse editorial board so we have that diverse newsroom so we can keep reporting because yeah I may be a person of color but I don't have the same perspective as a white man Mm -hmm. or a white woman or a black man like I I don't know like Mm -hmm. Asian man so and so forth you know and I think we like you said we become complacent because we're like okay yeah me too happened Mm -hmm. you know like we've had so much societal progress and we fought for so much so now it's time for us to rest but no we still have gaps Mm -hmm. in where we because i've heard men who are like well is it okay for me to give a hug to a woman now yes like they're like oh me too has just made me so scared to like give a hug to woman or like i don't know if i should like what should i do if you are questioning... You should maybe just ask. Yeah. If you're questioning that and you're, you know, getting tense about what you should do in the presence of a woman in a professional setting, I don't know, man. Like, take a step back and reevaluate. Maybe just ask. You know, because, like, w- okay, would you go up to your bro and, like, put your hand around their waist? Yeah. I'm know? not sorry that you're having to think about your actions and yeah. your words. Just I'm not... J- you know, like, treat me like how you treat your male coworker. I mean... Just be like, hey, can I give you a fist bump? Fist bump. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just ask. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I feel like it's just common sense. And with people freaking out about, like, the whole Me Too and just having to re, quote, unquote, reevaluate mm-hmm. how they interact w- with women, good that you're reevaluating because the fact that you have to shows that what you were doing before wasn't okay. Now, I do think it's good for whatever it is. I mean, whether it's women or, you know, I have a friend who is transgender and, uh, you know, um, he is really focused on educating um, people about how to use language that is, you know, um, appropriate and how to be an advocate for people, you know, who are who are um, trans. And, you know, I, I think as a woman, it's it's. I understand. I understand the heart of what that person's trying to say. And so giving great, like if someone comes to you and says like, I feel like I, I'm nervous about how I act. In front. Like now you could be like in your mind, like, come on, I don't need to be your educator. But at the same time, I think sometimes there, people do feel a little lost and or, or intimidated. And so there are moments where not everybody, not everybody is like, oh, I'm going to take this moment to educate you. It's not your, it's not your duty to do that, but sometimes we can do that, you know, because I think sometimes people use words or make jokes or things like that just because that's what they've seen in their life and they don't know it's wrong, you know? Oh yeah. And I know that came out a bit aggressive. No, no, no. This is our space. Because like, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a time and place. I have a friend who, you know, is is black and she's like I don't I get so tired feeling like I have you know people come to me like I'm supposed to educate them on behalf of my people you know and it's like 
it gets exhausting to be that way. And so I understand the the rage and the frustration and whatever. All I'm saying is it is something we should think about because if if we put up these boundaries and they might not feel comfortable to talk about their, I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean, it's completely valid because, again, as a person of color, I believe that there's no stupid questions or anything like that. And if you have a question, like, I will gladly tell, explain it to you. And I get the, the exhaustion that comes with it. But, you know, we also have to evaluate our biases and the blinders that we put on ourselves. I mean, because, yeah, sure, I'm a woman and I'm a person of color, but I still have my biases. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have those unconscious stereotypes that I put on people. You know, um, maybe. Maybe you do as well. And I, I feel like the more inclusivity that we have and the more people that we bring into our lives from different paths of lives, we can break that down and we won't have mm-hmm. so much oppression and mm-hmm. sex like sexism in this industry that's aimed to tell everyone's stories and aim to be equal. Like, journalism is equality. How can we not have e- equality in the real world if we don't have equality in our newsrooms? Or one thing that I like, too, is, you know, if I write a story that involves ability, like it's it's focused on that. Um, you know, I have one of my good friends who directs the Office of Disability Services at the university. I have her read it because I want to make sure I don't accidentally inject, you know, the wrong phrasing or the wrong. So, so having newsrooms that are diverse, it lends itself to that type of, you know, I think one error you can do is to like hire someone of color and be like, okay, you're going to write about all the stories of color. Like that's not, unless that person wants to really, you know, take on those stories. It's like there there's diversity in all stories, you know, and I, I really challenge the student journalists I work with to get diversity in their sources, not, not even if they're not talking about that topic necessarily. So let's say you have a a list of doctors that are going to be talking about ovarian cancer because it's ovarian cancer month or something like that. And there's a white guy and, a, you know, like we have to make choices about who we talk to. Like, why not talk to the, you know, woman? What Like, just mix it up for every story you do, even if it's not them talking about that, even if their race or their ability level doesn't come into play at all for the, what the article is about they're still just by nature going to have a different perspective. And I think it's good to have diversity throughout the newsrooms and throughout the stories we write. That's a good point. So closing questions. Um, So as a teacher, how do you, and you have a lot of young female journalists. um, I mean, basically our class before this episode is almost all women. Yes, we have. Yeah. One or two. One or two um male not yes. females um but what do you tell your students like your your special specifically your female journalists how to navigate such a male dominated industry one piece of advice like i said you know we just have to keep i think if you take everything um as a gender issue it just can it can eat at you I think you do need to let your voice be heard I think you need to challenge people if they do say something but sometimes you do have to pick your battles uh and it can just don't let I've seen people just get so frustrated and so upset by things that it's like it eats away at them you know and which is like the opposite of what needs to happen I don't know um but if you're hired in a newsroom they know you're a woman coming in and so that means they uh, someone there wants you there and so become allies with those individuals and and just do you like just be be awesome and just do your thing and show people like you know, you can't help what other people think about you. You can just focus on you and being awesome. And don't so don't get caught up in like what other people think about you, I guess. Just try to keep pushing and fight, you know. But if it's a fight, if it's like a fight every day, I, I think you need to find a different place to work. Like I also don't want people to like, you know, crush themselves by, um, you know, fighting every day if they if you feel like it's too I don't know does that does that make sense like and I want to say I mean in the newsrooms I've always felt 
I've always felt like I had more advocates and allies than not. So even if it was a male-dominated area, you know, or, or office, I feel like I was, my opinion mattered and they valued what I brought to the table. The Most people. The people that didn't, I either tried to educate them with grace, like we've talked about, kind of have moments where I would try to educate them, or I would just I didn't have no time for them, you know? Sometimes you just have to not have time for those people, and you just focus on the good. Um, I don't know. Well, speaking of educating people, you've definitely educated me. You've educated time, me. During our time today. I do have something. I wasn't expecting that question, so I totally fumbled over that. But I will say this. I have never, to this day, uh, asked like asked for an increase in a salary. Like, you know, when you get hired which you will, Shweta, because you're amazing. Fingers crossed. They'll come at you with a with a with a salary. And I would really, 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 if you are listening, uh, promise me that you will ask for at least five thousand more. Or, you know, whatever percentage. Just ask for a little bit more. Even if it's a thousand dollars. Just ask for a thousand dollars more. Because men ask for raises or ask you know negotiate salaries far more than women do and they get it a lot of times like when you do that so I would say do that no matter what your profession is at negotiate salary they can they just say no and it's fine you know they're still offering you the job and they a lot of places like expect I mean it's almost expected sometimes when I've had friends in HR and it's like many men just ask and so just ask. All you got to do is ask. Yeah. All you got to do is ask. Um, oh, and there was one other thing. Um, ask to negotiate salary. Did I say it earlier? I was like, there's two things. Negotiate salary and just balance. Like, you know, I, I, the balance is so important. You're going to burn out if you don't have balance. You know, focus on focus on you been there done that I think sometimes yeah women have this like I gotta I got to I have to um I have to demonstrate my worth and you're worthy you're already worthy and just know that and don't feel like you have to show anybody anything I mean it's okay to be like pushing yourself but don't do it to the point where you are harming your body you know I think that's really important. Well, on those wise, wise words of wisdom, this has been another episode of The Coven. Joining us today was Kate Elliott. And as usual, I'm your host, Shwedas Mirajan. Thank you for tuning in and join us next week for a brand new episode of The Coven. Have See a ya. great day. See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>